Rinkwide Vancouver. Not the start the Vancouver Canucks were looking for in the opener of a seven-game road trip as they fall 2-1 to the Blues in St. Louis. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's a presentation of Betway. Jeff Patterson joined on this episode by Harmon Dial of The Athletic and Canucks Conversation. And Harm, this was not a pretty game. It wasn't a pretty outcome for the Vancouver Canucks, but you got to work to get your results. It's not always going to be easy. You're not always going to get the bounces the way they did against Ottawa the other night. And this is becoming a little bit of a trend. I know the Canucks score in bunches on a lot of nights. They scored seven against San Jose just before Christmas and six the other night against Ottawa. But if you go back, I mean, three of the last eight games now, they've been held to a single goal. And so in these games, when you have to grind, I still think there's plenty of room for improvement uh, with this Vancouver Hockey Club. Yeah, and you could see that I think at the top of the lineup, they haven't been generating enough looks. I think the Miller line was certainly better. Uh, Besser had some looks, but the Pedersen line really wasn't able to create a whole lot. And you only get the lone power play and obviously St. Louis didn't score on their man advantages either, but they at least were able to look threatening, especially on the first one, whereas Canucks power play gets an opportunity and you sense that even when they do get some zone time, they're running into two issues that I'm seeing. Number one, they can't connect on those side-to-side passes. They really like to try and make those east-west feeds, which makes sense because it gets the goalie moving, but feels like penalty kills are just too easily able to read it and each time they try and get it through... Uh, the PK is able to get a stick on it, and that ends up disrupting the flow of the power play. And eventually, when they do decide to pull the trigger on a shot, they, for whatever reason, just can't seem to get it through traffic. Uh, man advantage doesn't give you enough. And, I mean, the Canucks still generated some looks in this game. I mean, the third line and uh, the fourth line had some looks as well. But, again, that's coming from further down the lineup as opposed to, uh, I-, I think you needed more from some of your top players in this one. Well, just to stick on the power play, a couple of things jumped to mind immediately for me. Uh, just the one opportunity tonight, and it was a bit of a strange one, and Quinn Hughes going back for a puck, and Pavel Bushnevich gets his stick up in his face, and they allowed play to continue, and Bushnevich had the scoring chance and actually hit the post. Uh, wouldn't have counted, obviously, but there was some confusion there. But the greater point is that that's Quinn Hughes going back, facing his own net, draws the only power play of the night. Two nights ago against Ottawa, only one power play in the first period. It was Zach McEwen going rogue against his former team and trying to goad Noah Juleson into a scrap at 4 nothing. Those are the two power plays the Vancouver Canucks have drawn here in the last two games. And so they're not moving their feet. They're not forcing defenses to turn and hook and hold and put gloves on them and those types of things. And we've talked about the struggles of the power play. I know it scored on its lone opportunity, but with a fortunate bounce against the Senators the other night, didn't generate a single shot in the two minutes. And one issue sort of leads to the next, and that is, uh, and we'll get to Andre Kuzmenko, obviously, but... Connor Garland is inserted. We've seen Philip Hronik and them go with the three forward, two defensemen said in the past when Kuzmenko sits out. Now, uh, tonight, it was Connor Garland getting an opportunity. And look, he scored early in the game. He's been playing hard and playing well, but you're trying to build continuity and consistency and you're plugging pieces in here on that top unit. This whole night was all about plugging pieces that didn't necessarily fit into spots because Kuzmenko was a healthy scratch for the fifth time uh, already this season, and we're not even at the midway mark. To me, there is sort of a greater issue here that, you know, they don't generate a lot of shots. We know that since the start of December, only Chicago and the NHL. Like, think of all the goals the Canucks have scored, but if you strip that away, since the start of December, only Chicago 
averages fewer shots on goal per game than the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, so to me, that's not spending enough time in the offensive zone, not taking pucks to the net. And as a result, I think it's becoming a little bit easier to defend the Canucks in terms of not having to take penalties. And look, the Blues are one of the most disciplined teams in the National Hockey League, and that held true to form in this one. But, you know, you want your power play to get some reps, to get some confidence going again, but ultimately put pucks on the net. And so not a single power play shot in this game, ultimately no power play goal, and they come up a goal short. Power play has had a chance to be a difference maker in a lot of games. Uh, It kind of takes me back to that game in Minnesota just before Christmas where they had five power plays that night or afternoon and didn't score. But this is another game where you thought maybe the Canucks power play, if it got some opportunities, could have been the difference maker to at least get this game to overtime. I really look at the way things are unfolding with Kuzmenko and, and this the, the way they're drawing line combinations. And it's so abundantly clear that they really need another top six forward because right now it's painful watching Pedersen play with the wingers that he's playing with right now. Honestly, he's got no creativity on his wings. And it's sort of doubled down because... Now, with this coaching staff, it seems like they're deploying the hughes Heronic pair more often with JT Miller. So you don't see Pedersen even sharing the ice with Quinn Hughes as much. So even when that line is able to get past the red line, get into the offensive zone, it feels like they're playing such a rudimentary style where it's, okay, let's rim it around the wall. Uh, let's send it back to the point. Let's take a shot from the point. There's just nothing creative there. And I mean, there were a few sequences in particular that stood out to me where you could really see that the issue with having two wingers with hands of stone is really showing towards the end of the first period. Pedersen made a slick breakout pass under pressure to help the Canucks exit the zone. And it created this like partial 2v1 situation for Lafferty and Mikheyev and just nothing manifested from it. Lafferty sort of skated it um, at a non-threatening angle, took a shot from distance that the Blues defender was able to get a stick on, just nothing coming from a really clever play uh, by Pedersen. Then in um, the third period, Pedersen in the neutral zone sort of broke up the Blues trying to transition it up the ice. Again, you ended up with, this time, McCabe with the puck with Lafferty, 2v2 situation, and there was nothing they could do except kind of just rim it around the wall. And I mean, especially then... Later, five minutes to go in the third period, Canucks were down a goal and Lafferty turned it over twice on the same shift. And then on the next shift, you saw Hoaglander get a turn for a little bit on that Pedersen line. It, it just feels like plays are dying on the sticks of um, Canucks wingers on that Pedersen line right now. And it feels like a real, really big problem right now. I have no issues with Sam Lafferty being on this team. I think he was a great acquisition. I think there is a role for him, although he doesn't play special teams. So uh, what that role is, uh, I guess it changes on a nightly basis. But, you know, again, it just kind of felt like a bunch of misplaced parts in this hockey game to the point that Nikita Zadorov was a net front presence on the second group out with the extra attacker late in the game. And so Rick Tockett going deep into his bag of tricks, but... Uh, I, I'm with you. Like we've seen Lafferty play up higher in the lineup uh, at times, and Rick Tockett's talked about you know trying to find somebody that just brings a little juice, and he keeps wanting four checkers to go and get the puck for Elias Pettersson. But uh, yeah, that line, that trio, uh, as constituted in this hockey game, just didn't have it. In fact, those three generated one shot on goal uh, in their time together, and that's uh, not enough. And Elias Pettersson 
not surprisingly, he had the one shot. So nothing from Mikheyev, nothing from Lafferty. And then you get late in the game where it's down to a one-shot game to get it to overtime. And that's where you'd like the 39-goal score from last year. And he's sitting in the press box or riding the bike or doing whatever he did, but he wasn't in the lineup. And it just feels like an untenable situation here that if Rick Tockett's not going to play Andre Kuzmenko and he's now been scratched on three separate occasions, a pair of two-game benchings, and then this one. Like, how many times do you go down that road harm if the coach isn't seeing the response and he's taking the drastic measure of sitting a 39-goal score? Like, it just, where is this thing headed? And if Andre Kuzmenko can't get into the lineup in game 38 in St. Louis, how in the world would Rick Tockett even contemplate using him in the playoffs? There are so few issues around the Vancouver Canucks, and you don't want this one to become bigger than it is. But I think people around the National Hockey League now recognize that this coach and this player just don't seem to be able to coexist for whatever reason. Yeah, and we're honestly past the point of message sending. Right. Because a lot of times coaches will scratch a high-profile player to try and light a fire under them because they're expecting some type of uh, response. They're trying to wake the player up a little bit or, or, or even the team as a, as a whole, it's sort of done in a, I know there's more in you and that's why I'm scratching you type of way. Totally. But I think we're at the point now and it's not even that we've reached this point now. I honestly think we reached it during that last road trip where he was scratched first in that Nashville game. This is Rick Tockett legitimately viewing Kuzmenko and going, I don't think he's one of my 12 best forward options right now. I can't trust this guy the style of play I want to, this hockey club to play, north-south forechecking, puck pursuit type of team, that in Tockett's mind, it just doesn't fit. It's it's not at this point, oh, I'm really upset with Kuzmenko that he doesn't do this, this, and that, and I'm trying to light a fire under him. I think it's legitimately about, again, going back to that Nashville game, I asked him about the thought process that went into um, that decision to scratch Kuzmenko against the Predators, and he talk it straight up said, I'm just trying to ice a lineup to, to win the game. And I don't think that was him being political. I think that was him being totally honest, especially because the Preds at the time were rolling. I think they there were yeah. like 13 and three heading into that game. So it just goes to show you that even before the new year talk, it was at this point where he just didn't view Kuzmenko as, um, as a viable option against teams that have been playing better hockey. And, and that's a really big problem because the Canucks, even with Kuzmenko going, are probably one top six forward short. Yep. Right? You have Pia Suter there on the Miller line right now. And uh, credit to him, I thought he was pretty effective there. But I don't think that's a, a long-term solution by any means. So then if you remove Kuzmenko from the, from the equation, then it just further exacerbates the issue, especially for the man advantage. Because... Connor Garland, historically, we know how successful he's been as a 5-on-5 point producer, as a play driver, but he doesn't have a great track record on the power play, which makes sense because Garland is great in tight spaces, in the corners, behind the net, when he's able to use his tenaciousness to win battles and um, make plays in small areas, but he's not the type of guy that's going to be able to beat goalies from distance, beat goalies from the from the flanks, or he's not the not dynamic enough to be making JT Miller-like passes. So I don't think that's a long-term fit either. And if it's not Kuzmenko on power play one, um, like there aren't honestly a lot of great options. Right. And 
Look, we do this after every game, and I imagine that most of our listeners are hardcore Canuck fans, so they know what's going on. I mean, it is important to recognize that this is just their second outright loss in a dozen games. They're 8-2-2, two, and two, so they have been mowing down opponents. They came off a remarkable run through the month of December, and that followed a pretty solid November and, of course, the quick start that they got off to. So one loss, no reason for panic, but it's not just about looking at the results, it's you know, digging a little deeper and looking at the way that they've come about and the way that they're playing in these games. And, you know, Rick Talkin didn't like the final 40 minutes against Ottawa. And I can't imagine that he was all that thrilled with uh, the 60 minutes in this one. So, you know, it it isn't just an off night because this one, in a lot of ways, felt like the Philadelphia game to close out 2023. And so in some ways, that first period against Ottawa with all the bounces too, that's the outlier for the last couple of games. Now, you know, there have been all these breaks uh, since Christmas, so maybe playing, uh, getting back into the routine of every other night, that'll be good for them. But there will also be tougher opponents ahead as they go to the New York area and play the three teams there. And those won't be easy games. And then they carry on. Pittsburgh's a little bit later on in this road trip as well. So the fact that the Blueger line is essentially the only goal line that you can count on, and I know that they didn't score the other night, they didn't need them. But other than that, uh, really, you go back at a 12-game stretch, and Teddy Bluger has probably been the most effective Vancouver Canuck, and right up there among the team scoring leaders, and Garland and Joshua not far behind, and they get the start they're looking for in the game and the road trip, a minute and 57 seconds in, some great work, Garland down low to Joshua, protects the puck, gets it to Bluger, and then... Uh, maybe it speaks to how well this line fit. Like the Blues fixated on Teddy Bluger harm. <laughs> he drew all their attention and Connor Garland finds a soft spot in the ice and beats Jordan Bennington on the first shot on goal. They scored on the first shot the other night, Ian Cole against Ottawa. So two straight games now where they get the jump on the opponent. Unfortunately, they weren't able to build on it. And what I thought was fairly remarkable about the first goal, it's just four on the season for Connor Garland. So still a lot of work to do to bring that total up. But his first goal from distance the first three had all been within 10 feet of the net. And, you know, we know that his shot isn't his strong suit, but he seemed to get a lot on that one and ripped it past uh, Biddington. And you kind of thought, all right, like, you know, here go the Canucks again. They're getting the start that they're looking for. However, that turned out to be the only sort of bright spot offensively as the night unfolded. What stands out to me about that line is they're always so well connected with and without the puck. When they have the puck, they seem to perfectly read where the next pass should go. So on that goal, for instance, Joshua is originally net front trying to screen Bennington, but Garland recognizes that, okay, he's close enough to behind the net that I can put it into space and Joshua will be the first forward onto it. So Garland's able to do that. Joshua reads it, gets down. And what I really liked about Joshua from there is he didn't immediately force uh, a pass back into the slot. He recognized that, okay, this play is still sort of developing. He gave it to Bluger. And then it's Bluger that is immediately able to find Garland in the middle there. And it just stands out to me because for three players that don't really have game breaker type skill, <laughs> yeah. they've had some unbelievable passing plays. Even, even in the third period, one of the rush chances that they had, it was a three on two and the blues actually had pretty good gap control on that play. Yet the timing of when that third line was able to zip the puck around. They were still able to generate a really good scoring chance. And that just goes to show you the unbelievable chemistry that they have right now that a lot of times, even with the Canucks top six lines, you aren't getting that level of um, passing proficiency. And then without the puck, it's the same ability to stay connected where they're able to 
use their hustle, use their wheels to to pressure it, to force puck carriers to uh, make quick decisions, oftentimes to give it up without possession. And they're doing it as a sort of unit so that if the first man in on the forecheck is forcing the Blues defenseman to um, have to get rid of the puck, that second Canucks forechecker um, on that line is there to also collapse and, and make sure that the next Blues player to get the puck also has to punt it further up the ice. And before you know it, um, the Canucks defensemen are able to recover it and it's like a neutral zone regroup and they're able to start transitioning back up the ice again. So I don't know what it is about why they've stumbled on this type of chemistry, this well of, of how they're connected. They're just on it both with and without the puck. Now, as good as they've been, there are two ends of the ice, and you could see when Colton Pareko scored to tie the game at one four minutes into the second, it was against that line for the Canucks, and Connor Garland slapped his stick on the ice. Hasn't had to do that very often because they haven't given up much, but uh, unfortunately there, Colton Pareko, just way too much time and space. Uh, we know big body cruising downhill, uh, that guy can shoot the puck, and he picked his spot on the stick side on Thatcher Demko and snapped it home. And ties the game, but I mean, at 1-1 on the road, lots of time to go. Canucks still in really good position when you think of how much offense they have been able to generate. Uh, but little did we know then. I mean, maybe there were some warning signs, but uh, there was no more offense for them to come. But we've seen that, uh, you know, when they've taken leads to the third period or if they've been tight in hockey games, they found ways. And again, they got all the bounces, maybe too many the other night against Ottawa. Should have tucked one or two in their travel bag as they head out on this seven-game road trip because there were no bounces for them. And then you go to the third period, it's 1-1, eight minutes in, and man, there was a lot to get into that I didn't like on what turned out to be the game winner, Robert Thomas with his 16th, too much time and space in the slot, and he ripped it past Demko as well. But to me, Harm, it starts with the easy zone entry. Like, it was incredible. Canucks basically rolled out the welcome mat and just said, hey, come on in. And from there, it's Nils Amon, it's Nils Hoaglander, and it's Linus Carlson, the call-up, who is playing over Andre Kuzmenko. Hoaglander and Carlson end up going to the same guy, leaves Robert Thomas all alone in front, probably the one guy on the Blues that they shouldn't have left all alone, and he made no mistake there. That turns out to be the game winner, but uh, a little shoddy defending, I thought, uh, all around in a one-all hockey game. And honestly, I think for the night as a whole, it was pretty uncharacteristic, the volume of rush chances that the Canucks allowed. It, they weren't necessarily grade A's that they were giving up off the rush, but it felt like there were a, a lot, especially through the uh, first couple periods of like B quality rush chances that the Blues kept piling up one after the other in waves, especially in that second period where normally this team, one of the biggest areas they've improved on that I think the coaching staff deserves a ton of credit for is how much they've tightened up their rush defensive play and how few shots and chances they've surrendered there. But it felt like first give the Blues credit because I thought the way they attacked off the rush was really well executed in terms of they had two, three, four attackers coming up the ice. They made sure to attack in layers, to attack in levels, as Talkin would say, where it wouldn't just be three guys straight across in a line where that's relatively easy to defend. They always had a trailer option. They always had a second wave, especially sort of attacking that high slot. And on on tonight, it just felt like first the defense were, were just a bit too passive and, and backing up, giving too much space on those zone entries. And then the forwards providing back pressure were just 
constantly a split second late to stop those uh, passes. The, the Blues made so many side to side passes into the high slot, similar to the similar to the uh, Thomas goal, uh, similar to the Pareko goal. Um, those goals weren't just isolated in- incidents. It felt like that's the exact type of scoring chance that St. Louis was generating a ton of in this game. But overall, I know we've been criticizing the Canucks a lot, a lot so far. I didn't think it was that terrible of a performance overall. Um, I don't think it was anywhere near their their best. But overall, in terms of you know controlling play uh, at 5-on-5, five five, I thought it was a sort of average, middling, mediocre type performance. Uh, so as much as we're sort of poking holes and uh, digging out these flaws, this, this could have easily been a game where when you look at the like two or three grade eight chances that Besser had, the result of this one could have been completely different as well. Right. I mean, the high dangers, according to Natural Statric, in the third period were eight zip. Like the Robert Thomas goal isn't even considered a high danger, although uh, he looked pretty dangerous with the release that he had on the goal. But uh, let's just run through those quickly. Like Brock Besser has scored 24 goals this year, a lot of them from the position that he had about three minutes into the third period and make the goalie make a save at the very least. But he fired that one wide. And then a couple of moments later, Quinn Hughes, with just an exquisite zone entry, creates an opportunity by himself, gets the puck to the front of the net, kneels him on as they're jamming at it. It squirts free to Hoaglander. He misses the net as well. Uh, Teddy Bluger had a great chance off the rush. Dakota Joshua taking a puck to the net with about six minutes to go. You know, as I look through my notes and jot down, like, there were opportunities. It wasn't like the Canucks were completely stymied and didn't have their chances, but... Again, they got outshot in every period. They got outshot 32-27 on the night. And yeah, I mean, Brock Besser doesn't miss from there very often, but uh, unfortunately he did in this hockey game. And as a result, that was a goal that the Canucks absolutely could have used. Yeah, and I think the Canucks will regret not, like given the volume of chances that they had, they didn't really force Bennington to make spectacular right. saves. Yep. Uh, and... and it's interesting because it seems like a bit of a, a trend. Again, Canucks have scored boatloads of goals. So, I mean, offense hasn't really been an issue, but it, you sort of saw it tonight. And I think bigger picture with the power play struggles as a whole, where sometimes they'll have shooting lanes and angles where they actually have, have some time. And they, for whatever reason, whether it's they can't get it through layers of traffic or they just flat out miss the net. They aren't forcing, you know, sometimes a goalie to even have to make a, a difficult save. So I think that's something they'll regret a little bit from uh, this Blues game. So they move on to New Jersey. That's stop number two on the road trip. And then it's uh, to the Rangers and the Islanders. You know, just back to your point that yeah, they, they weren't terrible, but sort of mid-range performance by the Canucks against better opponents. And let's be honest, there are better opponents out there than the St. Louis Blues uh, a middle-of-the-road effort isn't going to be good enough against a lot of the good teams. And the second half is going to be loaded with a lot of the best defensive teams in the National Hockey League that are going to clamp down. And this team does have to find a way. It has to learn to generate and then ultimately pull the trigger in some of these games where time and space is an issue. Now, again, I go back to the 12-game stretch. They're 8-2-2 two two in their last dozen, 24-11-3. 51 points, so they're stuck on 51 for the time being, but still not even at the midway mark as they fall 2-1 to the St. Louis Blues tonight at Enterprise Center. Uh, lots still to come here. We'll get to our three-star selection of this hockey game. You're going to hear from Rick Tockett, get his thoughts on what he saw from his club. 
Uh, we'll get to the stat that stands out, a little bit of listener feedback as well. And of course, uh, not a surprise, but Quinn Hughes, the first, and we'll see the first of how many Canucks going to the All-Star Weekend in Toronto a month from now. That was revealed earlier today, so we'll uh, touch on that as well. But right now it's time for our Betway Bet of the Day. And you look ahead to games on Friday in the National Hockey League Winnipeg at Anaheim. Now, the Jets are playing in San Jose as we record this, and then they'll travel south, and they should be able to beat the Ducks. You saw what Toronto did, put up 55 shots, although it took them 55 shots to get the game winner. Uh, In fact, it took them about 50 shots to get on the board. Uh, Lucas Dosto was incredible, uh, even if uh, the Toronto Sun didn't want to use his name. Did you see that tweet, by the way? (laughs) Yeah, I did. Uh, That's uh, Come on. uh, Anyways, that's for another day, but... uh, uh, still, Winnipeg, uh, even as a tired team, uh, I like their chances against the Ducks, who are 1-9 in their last 10 hockey games. Uh, you can get the Jets at 152. On the money line, that is your Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 years of age or older. Please play responsibly. It's Jeff and Harm with you as we break down the Canucks 2-1 loss to the St. Louis Blues. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. on the Blues beat the Vancouver Canucks. You're listening to Rink Wide Vancouver. Jeff Patterson along with Harmon Dial as uh, we hear from the head coach who, again, hasn't had to be disappointed after many games this season, just 11 outright losses and only 14 total in the 38 games that the Vancouver Canucks have played. But uh, there are some nights here, as we said, that offense has become a little, at least finishing has become a, a bit of an issue. So uh, Rick Tockett asked after this game uh, his thoughts and where he thought that uh, his team didn't quite measure up. They were good through the neutral zone. I thought they uh, hit the weak side a lot. Um, but uh, for the most part, you know, like I said, we had our lucks. So we just need some guys to bear down on the shots. And there you go. You know, bear down, finish. Kind of like we talked about in that opening segment. Uh, clearly the coach, it looked the same from ice level behind the bench as it did as we watched this one on TV. Yeah, and at least they were able to generate some chances if we're to look at the silver lining because there were some games in December, and of course, December as a whole was was really su- really successful for this team. But it, at least it wasn't like a Minnesota type um, performance on on the road there, where it's like it felt like they did they didn't even get their grade A uh, looks, or um, even at times like the first period of that uh, Chicago game. Considering the quality of the opponent, you're wondering, okay, why haven't they generated a lot here? Or, or even in the Philadelphia game, that's a stingy defensive team even though they aren't the most talented on paper. And that Flyers performance definitely stood out in terms of not just sloppiness from the Canucks and some of the details that they were missing, but they really didn't have many high-quality chances. Whereas at least in this one, it was different in that they had their chances. And I know that you're probably not expecting the fourth line to bury some of the looks that they had consistently, but at least for the Miller line to perform better. And I think Pia Suter especially... Talk about uh, the ultimate Swiss Army knife. I thought quietly, especially in the first period, he won so many battles that helped that line uh, get set up in the offensive zone, whether it was sort of along the boards and the Blues are trying to make a play up the ice. He's able to sort of just snatch pucks or as the first man in on the forecheck, doing a little bit of what made Phil DiGiuseppe successful on that line really early in the season where he's just able to stop the other team's transition and that then helps 
the Miller line, get the cycle established. And I, I thought he fit there, uh, which is notable because we're certainly talking about the Pedersen line not having enough help on um, uh, on its wings. At least the Miller line was going. I thought it was uh, one of their better performances, even though they didn't um, wind up hitting the score sheet. Yeah, and in fact, uh, only Nikita Zadorov had more shots on goal than Pia Suter. So Suter uh, generating some looks and, and getting his chances. Again, when they're hold, held to one goal, like Brock Besser had two shots on goal. You'd like He's a volume shooter. You'd like him to have a few more. JT Miller with just one. Elias Pettersson with just one. So, you know, there are three of your best players and top goal scorers, four shots on goal combined. Nikita Zadorov won off his career high. In fact, he had five after 40 minutes and thought, okay, maybe he's going to match or set a new career high, but uh, didn't register a shot in that third period. But who knows why uh, he was the guy that uh, had that shooting mindset tonight. Not a huge candidate, obviously, to, to score a bunch of goals. Just want to get one more thought from Rick Tockett in this hockey game. And he was asked, you know, what did the Blues do well? Because ultimately they held the Canucks to one. They outshot them, as we talked about, and they, they end up winning this hockey game. So uh, Tockett was asked uh, what he thought the Blues did well against the Canucks. Well, a little, obviously the goal coverage blown, but I thought we missed a, a glorious chance in the third. We had about four or five uh, missed nets. Like we missed the net there. Got to hit the net on those shots. All right. Uh, again, you mentioned this earlier. He's talking about the weak side there, and that leads to those uh, zone entries. It leads to chances off the rush. So, uh, again, uh, you know that was evident clearly to the coach, and I guess something that uh, they will address here as they move on a practice day in Jersey, and then they'll take on the Devils. And it'll be interesting to see because uh, we saw what happened when the Hughes Bowl went down the first time, six five. One of the Canucks' worst defensive performances of the season. This one against St. Louis clearly wasn't. You don't want to get into a run and gun and track meet kind of situation against the Devils. They will torch you there, and they did against the Canucks a month ago. So uh, we'll see if the Canucks are able to tighten up as they take on New Jersey on Saturday. Let's get to the three stars in this hockey game. The rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection in a moment. But uh, first of all, the three stars selected in the building uh, clean sweep for the home team, so some home cooking there uh, in Missouri. Robert Thomas, Jordan Bennington, Colton Pareko. Uh, I'm going to find a way to work at Kanaki and Connor Garland uh, gets his fourth of the year. That line again doing its thing. Garland getting a, a bump on power play one. I saw Wyatt and others uh, with some screen grabs of him trying to do that little down on one knee, kind of hiding behind the the far post. Uh, that's the Connor Garland. It worked for him in Dallas. Uh, I'll give Connor Garland the third star in this one. Look, Colton Pareko. Uh, maybe isn't the player that he was a couple of years ago, but he's still such a big body. He can be a force. He skates well for a, a large man and leaned into that shot that tied the game at one. And the fact that the Blues held the Canucks just to a single goal, he played 23 and a half minutes. So I've got Colton Pareko as the second star, and I don't think there was much doubt that uh, Robert Thomas is having a fine season, standalone leader offensively. He was in on both their goals, the winner and the primary assist on the Pareko goal. So a nice night for Robert Thomas. He's dangerous. Most nights out for the Blues, and uh, he is the rink-wide Vancouver first star of this hockey game. Not much to disagree about there. And for Pareko specifically, I think I'm really glad that he's having an overall bounce back season this year. Oh, he's it's not just his performance tonight and the goal, but his five on five play as a whole has been a lot better, which it's interesting because when the Blues won the cup, he was this mid 20s defenseman, had had the massive frame, uh, the unbelievable skating, and you, and you figured 
he's their stud. Uh, what, a, what a pillar on the, on the blue line after Petrangelo. And you figured that he was going to have such a long and successful career. And I remember Leafs fans at the time, some of them were always throwing, out the, throwing around those mock uh, trade proposals for, oh, can we land Pareko by um, creating some sort of package with Nylander? And yet his stock fell so dramatically. Injuries were a big part of it. And he'd signed that big contract in the last couple seasons the you know blues fans he'd become a whipping boy and they hated that contract wanted to get rid of it and you know how being able to spend time with athletes and you know get to know them uh, on um over the course of a season sometimes i, I don't know Pareko, but you really get a feel for players that are disappointing, not living up to expectations and the mental toll it can sometimes have. So I'm always rooting for for players in that spot that are whipping boys to uh, be able to get back on track. So I think that's a nice story out of St. Louis. Yeah, and uh, controlled the run of play in this one. Uh, shot attempts were pretty much a push, but uh, the Blues ending up out shooting the Canucks 13-8 when he was out there at 5-on-5. Five five, so uh, spending more of his time in the offensive zone and getting uh, some shots through uh, with him and the group. And of course, uh, they end up winning this hockey game 2-1. So there you go, the three stars, Robert Thomas, Colton Pareko, and Connor Garland. All right, one segment still to come here on Rink Wide. We'll get to the stat that stands out, some listener feedback from our social channels, and a thought or two on Quinn Hughes, and a little preview of uh, what's still ahead here on this road trip. It's Jeff and Harm with you. 2-1, the Blues beat the Vancouver Canucks. You're listening to Rink Wide Vancouver. We carry on with hockey talk here. Just one goal for the Vancouver Canucks. Connor Garland gets it, opens the scoring. 25th time in 38 games that the Canucks have scored the first goal, got on the score sheet first. Uh, a remarkable statistic, and generally that first goal means something. Uh, as it turned out, uh, it was the only goal the Canucks got. And so Jordan Binnington uh, was a minute and 57 seconds away from a shutout. Unfortunately for him, it was... Uh, early in the hockey game, so the shutout was off the board. But as the Canucks rolled along here, again, the Garland line was going. We've talked about that. Uh, there were some looks for Brock Besser. Thought a pretty quiet night for JT Miller, but it was really that Patterson, Lafferty, McKayev line that just didn't have the jump or the juice that Rick Tockett was looking for. Uh, and to me, Harm, this is the stat that stands out, is that at 5-on-5, five five, the shots on goal were 10-4 to four in favor of the Blues. Like, that's not Elias Patterson hockey the shot attempts were closer to a saw off, but still to see Elias Pettersson with whomever he's playing be on the shot share, 28% of the shot share. That's uh, not the Elias Pettersson that we know. And I know some people would say, hey, it's on him to elevate the guys around him. And, you know, he did a pretty nice job of that last year with Andre Kuzmenko. And that was one of the reasons Kuzmenko got to, to 39 goals. But Sam Lafferty is not Andre Kuzmenko, nor is Ilya Mikheyev. And... Again, like there's a place on this team for McCabe. He's in double-digit goals coming off a knee injury. Uh, I'm not here to crush him, but it just feels like there are a lot of nights where uh, he is awfully quiet and hard to find. Yeah, and this goes back to, I look at a lot of other franchise centers around the NHL, and they have so much talent to play with. Right, Austin Matthews has Mitch Marner to to work with, and I know it's not Mar Marner's best year, but that's a player capable of 100 point seasons. Um, Jack Hughes gets to play with Jesper Pratt and uh, Tyler Toffoli. Uh, McKinnon's often out there with uh, with Miko Rantanen. Uh, Barkov gets to play with uh, with Sam Reinhart, who's been one of the best goal uh, goal scorers in the NHL 
this season. Braden Point gets to play with Nikita Kucherov. I mean, even back in the day, uh, Boston, yeah. uh, they'd often have one of the best first lines in the NHL. And, you know, Bergeron would very typically play with Marchand or, or even Pasternak as well. Um, and Elias Pettersson has Mikheyev and Sam Lafferty right now. I mean, that's such a huge drop-off compared to those guys. And look, that's not me completely absolving Pettersson um, in all of this. Yeah, you want him to be a, a little bit more noticeable, even if he doesn't have uh, the best line mates. But this is a player that thrives in large part because of his hockey IQ, because of his anticipation. Uh, because of how he draws defenders and then his line mates are able to take advantage of the soft ice. The hockey IQ just isn't there, I think, at least at a high enough level for um, Lafferty and McKay. And look, McKay, I have no problem with him as, let's say, the third piece on that uh, Patterson line. He can't be the second best player on a top six line because you even go back to Mikheyev's days in Toronto, he rarely saw time with Matthews or, or Tavares. He was often on that third line in a sort of checking, um, shutdown type capacity. Yep. No, you're right. I mean, we see it, the movement to duos, two really good duos, and then a complementary piece. And I think Mikheyev absolutely can be that guy, but uh, it does speak to sort of the missing pieces on this hockey club. One of them was in the press box. Uh, you know, now, in the other times Kuzmenko's been scratched, uh, I think of the game in Seattle and they played so well and they won that Rick Tockett said, like, I, who did I bring out? I couldn't. So he sat for a second game. Same thing happened in Nashville and then Dallas. Well, here the door is open for Andre Kuzmenko to get right back in the lineup on uh, Saturday in New Jersey. And we said that that game might be a little more wide open with some scoring chances. And maybe you want the guy that scored 39 for you last year in the lineup. Want to get to some listener feedback as we dip into the social channels at Rinkwide Van. We asked the listeners what stood out in this 2-1 loss. And Don says how they went with the no system system again tonight. Yeah, I mean, we've touched on that and the fact that they were trying to plug some holes with pieces that uh, we weren't necessarily used to seeing. It didn't work out. So not quite back to the drawing board for the Vancouver Canucks, but this formation for them, uh, I don't know that uh, Rick Tockett wants to trot that one out uh, again on Saturday or anywhere else on this road trip. Chris saying, Miller hasn't been on his game for a while. He's still getting points, but not dominating. And when he's MII, Besser struggles. PD needs a winger or needs to start dominating games like a true superstar. Uh, let's start with the first part there. Where are you with JT and the fact that the points are there, but uh, what about his overall game? Yeah, the two-way metrics have certainly slipped after a terrific start. I, I just keep going back to this. It's a ton to ask for uh, from him to be the center of a line that so often goes up against the opposition's best players. And Obviously, it's a little different on the road where you can't control matchups as much, but you're asking a ton out of him because, yeah, he's got Besser on his line who has been one of the top goal scorers in the NHL, but Besser is a complimentary player. He's not somebody that uh, drives play. He's somebody that excels by finding the open spots and by being an effective supporting forechecker. He's not somebody that can carry the puck up the ice or, or has dynamic qualities. And, and so for that combination to sort of work on that left wing, they just haven't had a lot of consistency. Again, I think Suter was better there, but don't necessarily believe that's the long-term answer either. I think this would be a different story if you're in a situation where you have 
a left winger that that has some speed and trans- transition it up the ice, even generate some uh, looks off the rush because that's an area where it feels like the Miller line, when they're at their best, they create looks off the forecheck. But if they can't do that, then it feels like they're they're spending too many shifts sort of defending in their own zone. And ultimately with Miller, it's it's tricky because I don't think he fits the profile of an ideal matchup center. And in some capacity for this team to be a, a legit cup contender, I think one of two things needs to happen. And this isn't a something you need to solve this season. But at some point, if you want to be a team that has ambitions of going in a deep playoff run and making a legit push for the cup, you need to either acquire another centerman, perhaps a, a 3C down the road that can take on some of these tougher matchups so that Miller doesn't have to go up against top lines anymore. Um, you look at what uh, William Carlson does in, uh, does in Vegas, for instance, and how massive he was for their cup run where he could go go match up against um, the McDavid line and free up um, you know, the Eichel and Stevenson lines, or they need to find a left winger that can push play and, and be a difference maker there because it sort of feels like there isn't enough help there either. Yeah, yeah. A couple of feedback uh, items here from M. Smith. We learned the Canucks don't have the depth, the talent in their top six to be sitting a 39-goal scorer in favor of an AHLer like Carlson. Now, we haven't talked about Linus Carlson other than the the game-winning goal when he was out there. Uh, Nine minutes and 17 seconds in his fourth National Hockey League game, third call-up for him, had a shot attempt, Otherwise, a completely empty stat line. So left no sort of fingerprints on this hockey game whatsoever. I I had fairly low expectations. I certainly wasn't looking for him to be a difference maker. You know, the coaches won't like the fact that he was out there and what turned out to be the game-winning goal. For me now, four games for him, and he hasn't looked out of place, but I really, I haven't noticed an awful lot either from Linus Carlson. Yeah, in the first couple of periods, that line stacked some... Uh, good shifts where they were able to get some uh, zone time and you could see, okay, Carlson's winning a couple battles, but I I think you put it best. He doesn't look out of place, but he also doesn't look look like a player that you need to have uh, in the lineup. And that was my sort of initial thought process going into the game was, I don't think this team is good enough to sit Kuzmenko in favor of Carlson. Like, I, I don't think Carlson had like he's 24 years old at this point. He's not like this type of prospect that you're trying to develop and that you think has high end potential. Uh, so to me, it was I, I was surprised that Kuzmenko was scratched in the first place. I, I I would have been more than happy to just leave Carlson in the press box, but certainly after performance like that uh, for the team, I'm not scoring enough um, uh, goals and Carlson having a rather a forgettable, um, invisible night that um, he should be the one to come out um, and Kuzmeko should draw back in. Well, and we're in this information vacuum as well because they're out on the road now that nobody knows about Phil Giuseppe. Like, you know, he got injured the other night and Rick Tockett thought he would be out a little while, but there was no local independent media in St. Louis. There were others. Uh, I know that uh, your colleague Tom Drance is going to join the team on the road trip. Uh, others, I, I think, might as well. But it was just the Canucks' own reporter so you knew that you weren't going to get injury questions and any kind of update from Rick Tockett. So we don't know if this is going to be a, you know, a week, 
Is DiGiuseppe going to be able to join the team on the trip at some point? Is he out till the All-Star break? Uh, you know, that's a question that still has to be answered because uh, it's a question that has not been put to the coach yet. So hopefully when uh, others uh, join this group out on the, the traveling uh, roadshow, uh, we'll get more of an update on Phil DiGiuseppe because I think at that point, then you can start to frame the idea you know, are they going to be down a guy for a bunch of weeks? Is it uh, short term? So we'll see where that one goes. The final feedback item that I wanted to mention, Lemon Les Paul says, might have to change your name to NetWide. Yeah, they were wide of the net uh, an awful lot. Uh, we'll give that about a six out of 10 on the uh, joke scale, but uh, appreciate everybody that reaches out after each and every game here and love to uh, get your feedback and incorporate it into uh, our podcast here. All right, let's finish up with some of the news of the day. And that uh, was the Quinn Hughes, one of 32 Named to the All-Star Weekend in Toronto. Not a surprise. His brother Jack uh, gets the nod for the New Jersey Devils. So it'll be a bit of a reunion there. And the question now comes, there are still 12 spots to be filled out. But I think I read somewhere that eight of those will be skaters and four will be goaltenders. Which you'd think Thatcher Demko would probably be. I mean, the first wave uh, he wasn't part of. But I think Thatcher Demko will get a nod. And then it's a question of, you know, will another Canuck join uh, those two? So... You know, when you look at the number, I mean, it becomes this number crunching game. Like you'd have to think, yeah, you can just do the math here. I know what they say, it's a fan vote, but like McDavid goes for the Oilers. You'd think Leon Dreisaitl would go. McKinnon goes for the Avalanche. You would think that Kale McCarr would uh, get the invitation. All of a sudden these slots are filling up. And so uh, I do wonder if the Canucks, even though there are certainly deserving candidates, I wonder if their contingent at the All-Star Weekend will swell beyond the two that we just mentioned there. Yeah, and this is why the uh, All-Star game, nobody takes it seriously. Uh, At least part of the reason why is the whole each team needs a representative because I I got a chuckle out of it um, uh, today. And and I know he's out east, but Tom Wilson's on pace. (laughs) Tom, uh, Yeah, I mean, Jenner too, but Tom Wilson's on pace for 43 points. JT Miller hit the 50-point mark (laughs) before the 40 games played mark. And there's a good chance that he may not make the um, all-star team. And it's unfortunate because that's why you're never able to bring up when you're debating players or you're talking about, oh, what caliber of a player he is. You you can't just say, oh, he's a four-time all-star or something. It means nothing. It literally means um, zip. And I thought it was interesting that um, Jay Fresh on Twitter had put out a poll to hockey fans to try and vote their own sort of all-star teams without uh, the one player per team quota. And when fans, and obviously this isn't Canucks fans, this is NHL fans as a whole voting uh, when they voted the West, there were five Canucks on that uh, Western Conference All All Stars um, team: Besser, Pedersen, Miller, Hughes, and Demko, all making it. So, uh, even though the Canucks will be fortunate to, you know, if if they get three players um, at the All Star game, it's at least nice that league wide, at least from the fans, are getting um, the, the Canucks players are getting that type of recognition. Yeah, we'll find out uh, the fan vote in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, one for sure, Quinn Hughes, and that was not a surprise. And certainly the season that he's had and the way he's leveled up, uh, well-deserving of the honor, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think uh, the last time he went to the All-Star game was 
uh, where he was in this one in St. Louis. Of course, this one, uh, this year's All-Star Game will be held in Toronto. A couple of things before uh, we call this a, an episode, and not that it mattered, but man, what an off night for the Canucks in the face-off circle. One just six of 47 draws, 34%, which actually was an increase. They were at 25% after two periods, and they had just been absolutely schooled. And you know, I, again, uh, none of the goals were scored off face-off plays, so it's not like it was costly in that regard. But, uh, you know, you're chasing the game, and uh, it does sort of, uh, when it's that one-sided, uh, a little surprise. Because the Blues are 21st in the NHL, at least they were coming in. They probably jumped a bunch of spots uh, with this performance, but that one kind of jumped off the page at me. The road trip continues. We said it's going to get a little steeper and tougher as they go. Certainly the game against the Rangers will be a difficult one at Madison Square. The Islanders on home ice, uh, they can be difficult there. Uh, and next up is New Jersey. Now, from a fan's perspective, uh, a repeat of that game on December the 5th uh, ended up 6-5. to five, Goals all over the place. The big comeback by the Vancouver Canucks. But it is wild harm for whatever reason, and certainly in the time that uh, Jack and Quinn have been in the league together, uh, it has been one-sided in the Devils' favor, but it goes way beyond that. Really, for like the last decade, the New Jersey Devils, who have not, you know, they've had a couple of first overall picks in that time, a second overall pick. It's not like they were the Devils of the Marty Brodeur era winning Cubs. The last 10 years, they have completely held this mastery over the Vancouver Canucks so the Canucks will get another chance to try to get a victory and wrap up the season series, even the season series, on Saturday. What do you expect from that hockey game, just stylistically? Yeah, I mean, I would expect that you see more high event hockey. I mean, I, I don't know if it'll necessarily be another 6-5 game, but the Devils are a team that have so much speed, love to attack off the rush. Uh, the Canucks are going to have to be careful in terms of what D-pair they get out on the ice to to play against Jack Hughes' line because last time at Rogers Arena, the Canucks had last change, and for whatever reason, they opted to use the Zadorov myers right. rather than yeah. hughes Heronic and it the entire night, Jack Hughes was carving that D <laughs> pair up. So now the Canucks won't even have last change. So I'm curious to see um, what the proportion looks like in terms of how often the Hughes pair, uh, how often Quinn gets to see his brother on the ice or uh, how often it does indeed end up being the Zadorov myers pair. Defensively, this is a, a Devils team that, you know, because of Dougie Hamilton out, because they lost Severson, and Ryan Graves in the offseason, they have a young and experienced blue line and both Marino and Siegenthaler haven't been quite as good as they were last year. So this is a Devils team that does give up looks and we know their goaltending situation has been an absolute disaster. They've recently sort of called up Nico Dawes. So this could be a, another game where both teams trade chances. And if the Canucks end up with good goaltending in this game and so long as they don't give up those egregious grade-A breakdowns off the rush that, that that they did the last time these two teams met, the Canucks could have a decent chance in this one. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll be back to uh, document uh, all of that on our next episode of Rinkwide Vancouver. Harm, it's always great getting you on. Look forward to already to the next time that we get this opportunity to bring your smarts and your observations to the program. I know the people enjoy it and appreciate it as well. So uh, we can read your work at The Athletic and we see you daily with David Quadrelli on Canuck Conversation. But thanks for the little cameo here on Rinkwide tonight. Thanks, Jay Pat. It was fun. There you go. Harmon Dial joining us uh, 2-1. The Canucks fall to the Blues in St. Louis on to the New York area where we'll take on the Devils on Saturday. And that's when we'll be back with another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver brought to you by Betway. <laughs>